This is the Hop Podcast. Welcome to the Hop Podcast. My name's James Hopkin. This podcast series has been mainly interviews about uh, people within the skateboard industry and also downhill. I love downhill skateboard racing. It's one of my passions. And I've been interviewing a lot of the riders, mostly Australians because I'm Australian. And uh, sometimes you just target the, the easiest interviews first. Well, I'm going to do something a little bit different because my goal has been trying to get on a weekly schedule and I've been failing miserably. So it's sort of become apparent that I need to do some smaller episodes. And so that's what I'm going to start doing, filling in between the bigger interviews. I like the long form interview where I can just ask just lots of questions and dive into different parts of people's setups and why they like skateboarding and just really get into a long form. And I think a podcast lends itself a lot to that. You know, you get into an interview or get into a podcast and you don't really want it to stop. You want it to keep going. Usually people are doing something else. They're traveling. It sort of lends itself to that more longer form. So I'm going to do some smaller things to jam something out each week. And we'll see how that goes. The idea for this podcast basically came a few weeks ago. It was about a month ago. I got a phone call from Michael Brook, and he told me he was stepping down as editor of Concrete Wave. And this was before he had done a general announcement. He was just letting me know what he was doing. And I think he was also worried that that I thought that he was going to quit skateboarding, which is sort of like, I'm never going to quit skateboarding. I immediately I wanted to interview him for the podcast, but you know, Michael's doing a lot of sort of stuff. He said, yes, let's do an interview and I will get to that. And I will do an interview with Michael Brook, but I suppose I, I thought about all the magazines that I have, all the concrete waves and how much I've enjoyed them. And I suppose my favorite part of concrete wave has been Michael Brook's fine print it's sort of like this space in the magazine where he just lets rip. And I love people being honest or saying what they want to say or putting something down that maybe isn't popular or, you know, just standing on a soapbox and just letting it out. And that little piece of the magazine, although the whole of Concrete Wave is a reflection of Michael's character and what he believes in. And he he sort of sculptured each magazine um, a very specific way. The fine print was, it really was just almost sometimes raw Michael Brook. So I'm going to share one of my favorite things. And so basically what's happened is Michael has stepped down as editor. He has handed the reins over to the Young Guns. So there's new people in charge of Concrete Wave and they're going to take it. I don't know what direction. I haven't spoken to them or what they're doing. But I suppose it's the end of an era and this is a celebration of that era because, oh man, 
concrete wave. My, he, I mean, it's the reason why Hopkins Skate exists. I mean, he was one of my major influences to get into the industry and to start skating again. And, uh, I mean, I've always skated, but I really got back into skating in the early 2000s. There's, I, th- I suppose, you know, a lot of people that do downhill will be listening to this or into longboarding don't understand where that, um, you know, where the sport originated. And where it came from was the old school movement, people getting back into skating in the late 90s and the 2000s. And Michael Brook, in the early days, and he does still in a way, um, you know, identify as a skate geezer. He used to use that term all the time. I don't know if he still does, but he's a skate geezer. Just an old dude skateboarding, you know, saying it loud and saying it proud. And the first concrete wave, and I have it in my hands. This is the first concrete wave. Volume 1, number 1, summer 2002. And it really was sort of an old school magazine. I'm going to read Michael's first introduction. Um, I might get to that last, actually, because that might be a good way to finish this podcast. Just the way that Michael introduced Concrete Wave. But, you know, there was there's a lot of aspects of this magazine that just showed where the magazine was going to go and where the industry and where the sport, it's like, diverged and so forth. I mean, from the beginning, you know, Michael Brook had outliers in his magazine. He has, like... Um, there's a section on how to learn how to slide. So, I mean, longboarding is in there first up. He was already, like, the first magazine that has a article about girl sessions. So, you know, straight away there's longboarding, there's racing in here. He already had, like, all the influences and all the different aspects of the sport of where Concrete Wave was going to go. And I suppose, in a way, Concrete Wave has ridden the highs and lows of the sport and where it's like diverged and where it's sort of peaked and dropped. And Michael has followed that. He has lots of opinions, obviously, on where the industry is and all that sort of stuff. So one, I remember when Heelside Magazine, the Australian longboard skateboard magazine started up and the goal of that magazine as an advertiser I was a big advertiser in that magazine was they wanted to produce something that would sort of almost last forever like people could put it on their coffee table and go back to it and read the articles Michael's never said that to me about his magazine but I suppose good writing and good journalism and good storytelling last forever and the articles in these concrete wave magazines if you ever get a chance to buy some or get hold of some older concrete wave magazines you won't be disappointed the stories in them are awesome and it's also i suppose nice to learn sometimes the advertising in there is just as interesting as the articles but michael was always good and still is good at picking characters finding stories and just things that 
like normal skate media would never cover, but stories that we all love. And in a way, we are all individuals. We're all people in skateboarding. And some of the greatest stories or some of the greatest moments in our sport are just individuals or people doing extraordinary things. And that makes them an extraordinary people. So there is an article in here about buttons. So uh, Montgomery Buttons Kalahuni Kalani. I absolutely butchered that and I apologise. I can't really say Hawaiian names very well. I will butcher a few other Hawaiian names on the way through this story. But this story is about buttons. Um, I mean, there's a whole article about buttons. He was a skater. He was a surfer. This is how the article ends up. I'll leave you with this personal story I have about buttons. I'll never forget the first time I saw buttons surf in person. I'll paint a picture for you. It's the summer of 1984. Kaisers on Oahu's south shore is pumping. It's six. It's four to six feet with perfect offshore conditions. A six-foot double beast is forming near the inside bowl. Twenty guys are frantically paddling out for this fat double-up monster. Everyone's screaming, knowing this will be a guaranteed pitting barrel. I'm paddling after getting a nice inside wave. I was getting scraps since Kaiser's is, since Kaiser's definitely has a pecking order. All of a sudden, everyone pulls back, and only one guy is slowly paddling. It's Buttons, with his tongue sticking out like Michael Jordan. Buttons is almost laughing as he paddles. Someone yells, Go Brad Butts! Buttons fades back further as he paddles into this sucking beast. It's low tide. At the last second, Buttons drops in right and is pitted so deep, I'm thinking, there's no way. After a six-second pitting cave, Button comes flying out of the spit and launches into a lip slamming 360. The whole lineup was screaming. I couldn't help but scream too. Buttons went insane on every wave he rode that day. He was like a kid in a candy store for the first time. Buttons was always laughing, and he had his biggest smile on his face. He pumped up everyone in the lineup with his attitude and his innovative surfing. You could feel the energy in the water. Buttons pushed the limits. That's his style. Buttons followed his own path. His outrageous. That's just one story in the first Concrete Wave magazine. And that's 2002. It's 2018. So definitely go find yourself some old magazines and read some of the the articles that are in there. But my favourite story... In, I mean, there's so many good stories, but the one I really like, because I like the fine print, whenever the Concrete Wave magazine turned up, it was the first thing I did was open it up to read the fine print. Because Michael's a friend, and it sometimes uh, is sort of was a gauge of how he was feeling or where he was at and so forth. So sometimes I'd read those fine prints and give Michael a call and go, dude, you okay? So this one is Concrete Wave magazine, 100% skateboarding. It's volume five, number one, summer of 2006. And this is a story. I think Michael introduces it by saying the, the best thing about 
having a magazine is people sending him stories. And that's true about a skate shop too. One of the best things about having a skate shop is skaters come in and tell you their skating stories. Just everything about their setups, their skating, what they've found. Uh, It's that connection to the community and to skaters. Not professionals, but to just like the, the skateboarding in general. I mean, that's the great thing. So I thought it would be a nice surprise to give you, our loyal fine print reader, an opportunity to read a very funny story about an early morning bomb. Enjoy, and thanks for reading. So one night, after I had become accustomed to riding my longboard, I decided to start downhilling. It was 2.30am in Newport Beach. I forgot the cross street, but I was on Jamboree by Chevron and Land Rover dealership. I started down the first little hill. I started pushing myself up the next one for the big drop. As I was nearing the top, two cars passed me. I built up as much speed as I could before I locked down into my position. I built up speed really fast. I was going so fast my eyes started to water and I squinted. Halfway down the hill, the road curves to the left a little and I went through the turn and I spotted the two cars again. I caught up with them. I got closer and closer and then whoosh, I flew past the two cars. I thought to myself, holy crap, I got to the bottom of the hill, fly through the light and get about three quarters up the steep hill just before PCH. I drop off my board. I begin to walk the two miles back to my car. As I started walking, a motorcycle cop pulls up with his lights flashing. In my experience, getting pulled over by a cop at Newport at night as a pedestrian means there was an armed robbery around the area. I got a little bit worried and I asked, What's going off on, officer? Is there a robbery? Do I need to get out of here? He says, No. What are you doing out this late? I looked at him. I looked around and then I looked at him like he was stupid and said, What does it look like? Would you rather me do this at five in the afternoon? Then he asked me, Do you know how fast you're going? And I said, Well, I assume I was going pretty fast. I passed those two cars earlier. The cop says, I know. I saw and I clocked you. I told him, No way. You can't do that. And he told me, Anything with mass he can clock. And he continued to tell me, I clocked you going 65 in 50. I freaked out and started screaming, jumping up and down, and the cop says, This is no laughing matter, son. You could have caused a major accident, a serious injury to yourself. I told him, That's why I'm out at late that's why I'm out late, so I can only hurt myself. If it did happen, and it didn't. The cop says, I'm gonna have to write you up. I said to him, I didn't do anything illegal. You can't write me up a ticket. And he says, Watch me. So I got a speeding ticket for going 60 in a 50, 65 in a 50. That's 65 miles per hour in a 50 miles per hour. That's just for uh, the Australian listeners so they know what 65 in a 50, or the Americans know. I had caught three weeks later. I showed up two hours early, all excited about what might happen, and my name didn't get called for another two hours after court opened frickin' traffic court. Oh, and the courthouse is on the other side of the hill where I got my ticket. When my name finally got called, I walked up and the judge didn't even look at me. 
He stared at his desk, scratching his head, spoke into the microphone and said, You mean to tell me you got a speeding ticket on your skateboard? The whole courtroom starts laughing, and the judge actually pounded on his gavel to quieten the place. I stood there, holding my arms out to the sides with a stupid grin on my face, and said, I'm not going to deny that I did it. The judge shook his head and said, I can't believe he wasted my time and yours. You didn't break the law. This case is dismissed. I started to walk out of the courtroom, and people started to clap. I had two guys get up and shake my hand. Who would have ever thought a cop trying to be a total asshole to do something shitty would make that one of the greatest days of my life? I don't know if I'll ever go that fast on a skateboard again because I'm a little out of practice, but I'll definitely try and do it once again. That's my story, Triff Dog. So, that's my favourite fine print story. I mean, there was just so many good articles and stories and characters in the Concrete Wave magazine, and I'm sure that the new guys are going to do it again. So, how did Michael Brook start Concrete Wave? You know, he didn't have a fine print to start with, but he did have an introduction. It was was sort of like his um, first fine print. And you could almost write this today. This is almost current today as it was in 2002. And I suppose it is an example of how timeless some of Michael Brooks' writing was and how timeless skateboarding and now longboarding and downhill is and will be. That it's not going to go away. There are waves and there are crests and there are dips. And you know, downhill or longboarding might be in a dip, but... He'll be at the crest sooner or later. But this is Michael Brooks' first uh, fine print, and he called it justifying our ex- our existence. And remember, he's coming from he's this is Michael Brooks' skate geezer, you know, from the uh, his old school skateboarding. Maybe you've always ridden a skateboard. Maybe you left skateboarding but got pulled back in because they built a new skate park in your town. Maybe seeing a longboard in your local shop inspired you to take it up again. Perhaps the new Dogtown film or the internet rekindled your interest. Whatever the case, you've come to the realisation that skateboarding remains one of the most meaningful things in your life. However, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between your love for skateboarding and what you see presented in the skate media. We are here to reconnect you. If you are still reading, it's a pretty good bet that you're juggling many things in your life. Family, friends, work, lots of financial obligations. You're getting older, and there's more pressure to conform to what society thinks is the correct way to behave. You haven't given up the ghost. You look beyond what people think and focus on what you're passionate about. Skateboarding. Even on your way to work, if you spot a cool place to skate, you'll be thinking about it all day and what it'll be like to ride it. Your skate radar goes off at the sight of ditches, transitions, sweet hills and not so much at handrails and ledges. And if you meet up with someone your age who used to skate, you sense a close connection with that person. We are here to inspire you, to draw you closer to skateboarding. 
You might have read my book Concrete Wave or seen the television series. This might have led you to think about the history of skateboarding in more detail. Maybe you wondered how that might impact the present and the future. We are here to give you some perspective. Perhaps, like me, you believe that skateboarding today has become a little heavy on marketing and a little light in terms of variety. It makes you think of the scene in the film Life of Brian when Brian wakes up to find hundreds of individuals outside his bedroom window. You are comfortable doing your own thing and not worried about what people think. We are here to provide you with images and information that would challenge you and make you think. Concrete Wave would take you back and move you forward. The winds of change are blowing within skateboarding and there's an injection of roots and variety, but you crave more and Concrete Wave is here to feed your addiction. So welcome to the magazine and enjoy that our contributors have cre- have created. My, my thanks to Mike Moore, designer Ryan Tompkinson, Attila Azotti, Josh Bauer of Skate Club, and Brad Elman of zboys.com. A very, a final very big thank you to all the advertisers who have supported this magazine. There's no way we could have done it without you. We welcome your feedback, stories, and photos. Contact me directly. Best wishes, Michael Brook, publisher. P.S. Sure, we could have jammed it all on a website, but... We know you love print just as much as we do. And that's how Concrete Wave started off. That's the first magazine. And even back then, Michael Brooks battling, or he's getting feedback that maybe you should just put it on a website. I find that sort of inspiring and also incredible. He really battled. He was, a, he was for that particular era a skateboard publishing maverick. I suppose he still is in a way. So I suppose I'll just end it by saying that support Concrete Wave, whatever they're going to do and continue to do, because it has an amazing legacy. It has an amazing, I suppose, foundation that Michael Brook has um, built, and they're going to build on that. I ask, I suppose, I appeal to advertisers and people in the industry to invest in something that might not be seen as that popular because a magazine, well, these magazines, are going to last lifetimes. You can't just judge a Concrete Wave magazine by the edition. Oh, the next edition's on, the old edition's gone because there'll be people like me that just go through and reread and see your advertising again and again. It's going to last for a long, long time. These are billboards put up on the side of skateboarding that people are going to travel past for a long, long time. And that's it. That's the end of this episode. I have a an interview with Mitch Thompson that's in the can. We've done that. We're just going through and editing at the moment. There's also, I've got so many interviews lined up, we'll have to get them done. And I will try and get more of these smaller episodes done so we get some more uh, regular podcast up and running. And let me know what you think. Hit me up on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, send me a DM, um, like, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. 
and I'll see you on the next one. Hop out.